Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6, starting with verse 9 through the end of the chapter, verse 17. And the last time we covered the first part of verses 1 through 8, and the message was probably wondering why I'm holding my phone, but you'll know in a moment. (laughs) So uh, it was titled, Five Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And there was a famous painting, even before I was saved, that had such an, an impact on me. Somebody I knew well had this huge painting of the four horses of the apocalypse. But actually, when you read the scripture... Death and Hades go together, the the fourth seal. Um, So there's actually five horses, so the painting is wrong. If you have the painting at home, don't feel bad. Just get some of your oil paints and start painting another horse and a rider in there. So five horses of the apocalypse. And uh, a friend of mine, one of our younger adults, told me that it was such, such a cool thing that his friend had a dream. This is before she heard the sermon. And she said, in the dream, she looked up into the sky and saw um, these ugly, very large horses, uh, and it was terrifying. And basically, they were really grotesque looking, and, and God was trying to talk to her through this image in the, in the dream. And then, two days later, she actually listened to that message of the horses of the apocalypse, and it gave her chills. It was pretty exciting. But I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people talking about, you know, just going through Revelation and just seeing what's going on in the world in our country and, and just seeing that our leaders, especially the secular humanist ones, don't really have an answer for the problems that we face. The, our society is pushing Jesus away more and more, but he's the answer. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Prince of Peace. He has the ability to unify not only our nation, but our world. Unfortunately, just like in Genesis, many are moving away from the things of God. Today, the message is titled, Two Responses to God. And we're going to talk about a time period that, again, this is prophecy, hasn't happened yet. It's in earth's future. I don't want to say it's in our future as a church, because if you're in Christ, we're not here for this. But these things have to happen. And if you're new to Revelation and you, you have questions, definitely get the last few videos for free, because it gives you the foundation for the entire book. But this could be next year. It could be in 10 years. Only God knows. It's on his prophetic timetable. But this is a period of time where the earth now is, it's, it's judged for its sin and rebellion, finally. And then the Lord eventually remakes everything. But this is a seven-year difficult period, what we understand is the tribulation. Now, in this time period, we're going to cover today the fifth and sixth seal that are broken. Um, there's going to be two responses to God. And... Some will, to the very end, make poor decisions, as people do today in their lives. And I, listen, we all make bad decisions. I make bad decisions too. But I mean poor decisions spiritually. Before you die, you have to consider the Lord. You have to consider your eternity. So in this time period, some will, to the very end, make poor decisions spiritually. And others will just finally look up and say, all right, Lord, um, I want to 
be yours. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. And we're going to see this in four parts. So verse 9 through 11, the fifth seal, it says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, as it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. So one out of four, we're looking at the fifth seal. When it comes to this chapter, these are the tribulation saints here. Let me blow your mind a little bit. These, some of these people are some that you've witnessed to in your life as a Christian, that when the Lord comes for his church, because when he judges the earth, the Bible's very clear. It's not for those in Christ. When he removes the Christians from the earth to celebrate the marriage supper of the lamb, um, those that we know that have been very stubborn, they will unfortunately be in this time period. So some of these people under the altar in heaven are going to be those that you and I know. Now, I personally, I love people. I want to see as many people come to Christ as possible. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of associations and I don't break those associations regardless of what they're doing. Because I want to be that positive influence. I have to laugh because it was a few months ago, I got a text and I didn't recognize the phone number. So it was one of my friends who changed his phone number, but I didn't know who it was. And he starts talking to me. I'm like, I'm sorry, who's this? So his response was, it's your drunk friend. So I responded, you're going to have to narrow that down a little bit more. <laughs> and I can think of half a dozen people that it, this might be that are honest about their lifestyle. Um, and then he told me who it was because that's my life. My life is, is trying to win as many people to Christ as I don't turn my back on them because their lifestyle is, is not right. I want to be that positive influence on them. So just a little humorous note there. But when we look at the souls under the altar, they're A, under the altar, which is unusual. We're going to talk about that scripturally. And B, they're crying out for vengeance, justice. Very different from Jesus when he was on the cross, not wanting the insults and the attacks and the, you know, the assaults on him to be held against his, his uh, perpetrators. And he asked the Father to forgive them for those sins. Stephen, the same thing. Arguably the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts is being stoned to death. He's not crying out for vengeance. And if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs for the last 2,000 years, Christians in China during the communist takeover and many other places in Europe during the Dark Ages, they didn't hurl insults and attacks at their tormentors. They called for their forgiveness. So why is this group looking for vengeance and justice? See, this is so key to how you study the Bible. We can gloss over it. Or we can take it apart and investigate it and compare it with other parts of Scripture. So the Old Testament law, again, prophets called down judgment. Remember when Jesus' followers tried to do that and they were pretty much new to walking with Christ in Luke, Luke 9, 55? 
and the Samaritans wouldn't receive Christ and the disciples and James and John, the sons of thunder, interesting nickname that he gave them. They wanted to call down fire from heaven like Elijah did. And Jesus's response was, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. Why? Because Christ ushered in the age of grace. Prior to Christ, it was the law. You had to look at the law. You had to, you know, see that you, you failed and you had to have faith in God uh, because the, the law condemned everyone. None of us can follow the law. That's, that's a simple understanding. But when Jesus came, he died for the sins of the world and he ushered in the age of grace. So a better way to understand this is you have the age of the law pre-Christ. Even John the Baptist He was fiery. He was like an Old Testament preacher. And he acquiesced to Jesus, who brings in the age of grace. Now the believers are removed, the church is removed, and you have pretty much back to, in a sense, a different dispensation. You have law again. You have a crying out for vengeance. Now, I have to make my case here because not everybody is down with that uh, interpretation. But again, there's a lot of good scripture to cover that. In Daniel chapter 9, remember the uh, angel says to Daniel, uh, and he's telling him what's going to happen, the fate of the Jewish people. And he says, this is for your people. Remember, Christians didn't exist yet. It was for the Jews. And he had these uh, 70 Shabuah which was a period of seven years, which is similar to our decade, except for the amount of years. So uh, this is determined for you and your people, right? The 70 Shabuah, or seven-year period, times 70 times seven is 490. The 69 of those Shabuah were completed when Messiah came. And this is all in Daniel 9. And then that seven-year period, that last Shabuah, kind of was hanging in the balance. Like, what, what do we do with this? It almost, in a sense, got frozen or it got paused while the age of grace was ushered in. Well, that last seven-year period, which coincides with the tribulation, has to happen again. And we're going to see this next Sunday with the, the Jews who were sealed and they're evangelists and they're going out and they're being used by God. And you're like, where's the church? Church isn't here. It's been raptured. The rapture, the harpazo. So when you start putting everything together, you can see how it works. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 4, why are these saints under the altar. Well, in Leviticus 4, when you looked at these offerings, these sacrifices, they were, they took place at the base of the altar, right? When you get an understanding of the entire Bible, Revelation makes perfect sense. So these believers are martyrs. They're martyrs. You can see the world, and you can see in our own country, you look at the educational system, you look at higher education, you look at politics, you look at the media, there are Uh, There's a hostility towards anything of Jesus. More and more, um, you have to push him out and bring in those secular humanist ways or new age ways. There's a lot of different things which are being uh, spoken about and, and advocated except for Jesus. So it's happening in the world. It's happening in our country. You see this, the stage being set for it. And, could there be martyrdom, a martyrdom in the United States in 5, 10, 20 years? Possibly. But we certainly know that in the majority of the world, it's happening and it will continue to happen. Now, I have to kind of parse this and, and people ask these questions, and especially my young adults in the young adult group, and they ask some difficult questions. What about self-defense? It's completely different. So if somebody is, is breaking the law and breaking into your window with a weapon at 3 in the morning and you have kids in the next room, 
You can defend yourself. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a system where the, the Constitution, the government, the politicians, you know, everyone is aligned against Christianity. It's a state-sanctioned attack on Christianity. And we, we hear, you know, our media is so single-focused. They, they just talk about one thing for months, and there's so many things going on in the world. In Iran, there's many coming to Christ, and they're being martyred. They're being murdered by the government. It's perfectly legal. The courts sanction it, the military, the, the leaders. Uh, North Korea, the same thing. What they do to Christians is barbaric. So this, we almost live in an American bubble. So when we read the book of Revelation, we have to look at this in its totality, not just from what we're seeing in the United States, right? So there's a lot to this. It, it, we're not even covering that many verses this morning. So back to eschatology, uh, you could even look at the, you can compare, remember the, the Old Testament had types, typology. They had um, vague understandings of future events that when Christ came in the New Testament, it brought those things to life. It explained them more. So if you look at the harvest, again, in the Old Testament, you look at the law in the Old Testament. You had your first fruits, which were given to God. You had this huge field of uh, 10 acres. Your first acre, half an acre, you would give that. The first of the harvest, you'd, give it to, you'd offer it to God. You can compare that to when Jesus rose from the dead. And in Matthew's gospel, that many um, came out of the graves and appeared to many, many souls, many saints. It's a very obscure script, uh, scripture that if you read it too fast, you missed it. So when Jesus was, he was the first fruits of the resurrection, but he had some other people that were, that were uh, resurrected as well. Um, so that's the first fruits. The next part of the harvest, understanding the Old Testament, is it's the main part of the harvest. So if you had 10 acres, this would be like eight acres. And this would be something that you could use, you could sell in the market, you could be for your family, etc. And you can see that in the rapture of believers. The largest part of the harvest that gets resurrected to be with the Lord happens in the harpazo or the rapture. In Old Testament law, if you had any type of acreage and you were growing any type of crops by God's law, today we see poverty. But in the Jewish system, if everyone was following God's law, there shouldn't have been poverty. Because for those that were the downtrodden, that had nothing, the disabled, you had to have a percentage of the last part and it didn't mean the worst part. It just meant as a, as a percentage. It was called the gleanings. And you, as a, a wealthy person, could not touch that. That was for all the poor in the village to come and take as they pleased for free. Pretty cool, isn't it? Well, we can make that comparison with the tribulation saints. Three parts of the harvest. So when you look at the scripture, there's all these, this symbolism, these uh, illusions that you can pick up. And it reinforces your belief system. I really want to get to the part about, I mean, this is doctrinal, this is theology, but I really want to get to the part about the application. So let me just leave this. Some have an issue with the rapture. They call it escape theology, and I find that humorous and ironic because in Luke twenty-one thirty-six, Jesus says, when he's speaking about some of these things that are happening, remember in, in Christ speaking 2,000 years ago, really overshoots into our future. He says, quote, to his followers and for us reading, watch therefore and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape. Hey, call it escape theology all you want. I don't want to be here when these things are happening. We're the bride of Christ as Christians. 
So he said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass, meaning the judgments, and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, the, the whole thing about Jesus dying for our sins was vague and nebulous to the followers. When D- Jesus did die and was resurrected and was on the earth 40 days afterwards, everybody understood what coming to Christ was, and we understand that today. So, verse 11, he says, the Lord says to the, these people up in heaven, you know, maybe every second another person shows up in heaven. They're getting this white robe of sanctification, just like we saw the robes in uh, Revelation, right, 4 and 5. They're, we're all brothers and sisters, no matter who you are, ethnicity, race. When you come to, he- to heaven, we're all, we all get the same robe, which is the, the, uh, the purification that comes from Christ. It's imputed to us. We all have that same uh, garment. And what, what they're seeing is their group is every second they're seeing another person that they used to know from the earth show up in the earth because of martyrdom, right? which is going to happen over the, the earth. So he says, rest a little while longer. The Lord will judge evil on the earth. Right. And I, I it's funny because people in the world, they do this to us as Christians. They even do it to God and how they think of God. We want justice. Well, there's going to be a point in time where justice is going to be front and center. And then people are going to go, whoa, that's, that's harsh. What are you doing, God? Well, you ask for justice. Well, it's better that God imputes justice than me or anybody else because we're sinners. He knows exactly what he's doing because he can see the heart. We can't justice in this world is it's it's ambiguous it's um disproportional because you have sinners imputing justice on other sinners um but when god does it it's going to be perfect you know no one's going to be falsely accused and no one's going to get away with something because god missed it so those two groups will will come into harmony with god's justice very interesting um, another false claim is, and again, you hear these things, there's, a, there's hundreds, there's thousands of YouTube preachers that people just flip to and listen, and they listen to so many of them that they get confused. Well, this one says this, and this one says that. That's why you have to dig into your Bible. You've got to go into the Old Testament. You've got to go into the Gospels. You've got to go into the Epistles. And then it becomes clearer. There's some of these YouTube preachers, they, don't, they haven't even read the whole Bible, and they're just making these claims. Nobody gets saved in the tribulation. That's not true. (laughs) We see it right here. And I want to encourage you, because I I see this on a regular basis, and I get the phone calls, and I get the inboxes, and I get the texts, and the concern. Pray for my spouse. Pray for my dad. Pray for my kids. I don't think that they know the Lord. And before they die, I want them to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I see some of you in person, the look in your eyes, the, the concern, the, the passion, the, maybe the even fear at times, because you love these people. I want to encourage you. They may get saved in the next year or next five, ten years. They could also get saved in the tribulation. Either way, we're all going to be in the same place when we die. So I want to encourage you with that, because that is something that... When you really understand Christianity, you want to see everybody get saved. You want to see the checkout girl, the guy pumping your gas, the, per, the Uber driver. You want to see everybody get saved because that's what it's all about, where we end up in the end for eternity. This good stuff. Um, I actually have friends that <laughs> I've just been witness to them so long, and they say, listen, this whole thing that you're talking about in the rapture, when, when you and your family disappear, then I'll believe. I'm like, but why would you want to go through that seven-year period? 
it's going to be miserable. Just trust the Lord now. Though it is funny, and some of you have heard it. Yeah, well, when you disappear and I can't find you and the TV's running and, you know, the mail is piling up and the grass is, you know, 10 feet high, where'd they go? You know what I'm saying? And then the people are disappearing, right? Then I'll believe. Okay, if that's the way you want it, it's stubborn. So I look at it this way. If when I'm gone and my family's gone, you can have my house. You Google my address, you know, there's food in the freezer, take care of my pets if they're still there. Um, enjoy it because I'm not going to be here and I don't care at that point. Same thing with the church, you know, squatters could move in. I don't care, you know, but you're going to go through a difficult time if you don't know the Lord during the seven year period. Verse 12 through 14, the sixth seal. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The sixth seal, two out of four, cataclysmic events. And there are those on the earth... I'm a nature lover. I raise bees. My wife has beautiful gardens. We love the beautiful earth that God has created, but it is in a fallen state. We understand when we read the Bible that he's going to remake it. There won't be any weeds. There won't be probably any mosquitoes or ticks or Lyme disease or any of the annoyances that us outdoor people deal with. Um, but we know a lot of people who they don't know the Lord and their worship could be of mother earth, of nature, And, you know, our desire is for them to see that there's a better time that's coming. You think that this is great? Well, when God redoes it, read Genesis. There's not even rains and storms the way he did it. And this is very easy to understand through um, the hydrosphere and pressures underneath the crust and things that were different prior to now, right before the fall of creation, where there was a mist and God lightly watered everything, and, and there were no weeds, and there were no... you got to read Genesis. It's, it's exciting. So, you know, again, we try to reach every type of person to the nature lover. You know, you make a bridge with them. You know, you tell them that you're a nature lover. I might have hugged a tree once in a while, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but I also understand that I don't worship this earth. I worship the one who created the earth. And he's going to create an even better one. And I'm really excited about that. But this difficult time has to happen before the remaking, right? So my advice to that group is to not to try to save what's falling apart, but to be a part of the new, right? I look at Joel 2.30 and Matthew 24, and they speak about these cataclysmic events in the Old Testament, right? Well, over 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to have a little fun with... My favorite science, when I went to Rutgers, I still, oh, I didn't bring my book. I put my astronomy book, it's in, the, it's in my car. I was going to show it to you. From 30 years ago at Rutgers, I had my astronomy book, I had my biology book, but it was like the sixth edition. They're probably now on the 100th edition. I heard a scientist say recently, well, you know, science changes. And he was right. Because God has, he knows about the atom, he knows about the DNA, he knows about things that scientists today are still discovering. So the knowledge, the absolute knowledge doesn't change. God has that in his storehouse. 
But he's put us on this earth like little children, and we explore, and we're like, oh, I learned something new about DNA. I learned something new about the cell after the electron microscope. So we have fun with science, but it's his science. Remember that. So as much as I love anatomy and physiology and biology, you see me smile when I talk about that. Today, we're going to talk about cosmology, astronomy, and a little bit of geology. And these are the things, these are the sciences that are going to be affected during this cataclysmic event. Now, little, another disclaimer is that God could just do a miracle. And this is interesting how God does things. He could just do a miracle or he could allow the natural events to, as they start to decay, to actually uh, fulfill these things. Remember, John is seeing a vision without having a telescope or a computer. He's doing the best he can by being shown the vision of the moon turning the blood and the the sun turning black as sackcloth of hair. He he can't explain it scientifically. We can now. So we're going to talk about the science, but we could also say that God might have done a miracle. Let me give you one more example. When Jesus and Peter were talking about the temple tax and Jesus says, Peter, you know, do the sons of the king pay the temple, you know, pay the taxes? And Peter says, no. He goes, well, we don't have to either. However, so we don't offend them. Jesus said to Peter, put your hook in the water. He grabs the first fish. He opens his mouth and there's a stator. It's a, it's a coin. It's a Roman coin. And he says, put that in the box for me and you. So we really didn't have to pay it. It just, we found it. And it, it, there was a whole theology behind it. But so here's the question. Did, when Peter put the hook down and he caught a fish, did Jesus supernaturally make a coin appear in its mouth? Or did Jesus know that as the fish was passing by, that was the one fish that was kind of nibbling on the ground looking for food and the coin got stuck in its throat because you find coins in the water all over the place in the Mediterranean, right? Roman coins from 2,000 years ago. And and the fish is maybe gagging on it and Peter pulls him up and opens his mouth, takes the coin out and puts him back in the water. What I'm trying to say is that it could happen either way. So I want to give God that latitude. I'm not sitting here saying I can explain everything God does, but let's have a little bit of fun with this. All the disclaimers are over. Okay, the earthquakes. The earthquakes. There was a great earthquake. We're going to see a lot of earthquakes in Revelation. This is, we understand earthquake activity, tsunamis, under what's called plate tectonics. When you're talking about the lithosphere and the Earth's crust, you have these plates that shift, and they're very massive. And they cause incredible damage. They create voids. When it happens in the ocean... You can displace uh, thousands of tons of, of seawater, and then you have, it drops, and then you, it just starts rolling into the shore. And then it, it's, it, all these you know, coastal communities are inundated with water because it happened in the water. Jesus speaks about the birth pangs now. It's, it's interesting when I read the news and you know, um, the Richter scale, seismic activity. You know, we, oh, we had a five or we had an eight. Now you're talking about huge magnitudes of earthquakes that we're seeing in our present day, and they're getting greater. And that's just going to keep happening. Um, the sun being blacked out as sackcloth of hair. This could be a situation with all the activity that's going on in the atmosphere and on the earth that, uh, was it, remember Mount St. Helens? They actually had a video of that. When you watch the video, the sun looks like it's being blacked out. And the particulate matter that ends up in the air, the sun still is able to get through in certain particles when they're angled a certain way and it looks like diamonds in the sky. So you see a blackness, but you see sparkling. 
John is not only saying it was black, but it was like sackcloth of hair. When he looks at it, he sees a texture to it. The Bible's amazing, isn't it? We can easily explain that today. So you, you look at um, uh, occlusion of, of the light. I actually took a picture and I showed it to my wife. It was beautiful. It was a, a thin cloud that passed across the sun. We, we got these sun showers lately. And the cloud looks like it's energized. The cloud looks like it's giving off its own light because you can't see the sun. And I'm like, check out this picture. That is so, so cool. Right, But it was the sun that was doing it, but it looked like the cloud was lighting up, even though it wasn't. So John's doing the best he can to explain this. Um, this could be an eclipse from a heavenly body. This could be a shakeup from debris. During Jesus' crucifixion, the land went dark right, for a specified amount of time. God was trying to get the people's attention. This was a major mistake on your part, folks. Uh, but did he do it supernaturally, or did he just turn the lights off? Because he can do that, right? He can opaque everything. Um, it's pretty fascinating stuff. The moon is blood. You can see, depending on what particulate matter ends up in the sky, it can reflect different colors, depending on what it's made of. So you, I don't want to go too far into this, but it is a little, it's fun. I hope you had your coffee this morning and your, your B-complex and your carbs because you're going back to high school and college, you know, um, geography and and cosmology and all that stuff, but I would also talk about refraction, right? Depending on, and you can see on a certain given day that you'll see the sun and you'll see the moon. Depending on where the trajectory of the planets are, um, you know, you can see, it also depends on the density of the atmosphere when the, when you, you got the sun, the moon, and, and the earth. At certain angles, you'll see a red sky, or you'll see everything in the sky look red, and that's a, a, a picture of ref refraction. So again, it has to do with density of the atmosphere, angle of the sun to the earth, and it, it's pretty neat stuff. The stars of heaven falling to the earth. Stars, the Greek word aster, where we get the word asteroid from, this can be debris, it could be an asteroid, it can be stars, it could be a meteor, meteor shower, which becomes meteorites when it enters the earth's atmosphere. Um, yeah, you know, we have, <laughs> I could be up here by myself, you know, I'm like going through my science books and I'm, I'm, you know, there is a really cool thing, a phenomena, phenomenon, singular, is where the earth has an atmosphere and there's different arguments about how many layers, but most scientists say that, well, we can delineate five layers of the atmosphere and then you have the vacuum of outer space. There's something called the Kármán line, which is uh, 100 meters, 100 kilometers uh, just north of sea level. And Kármán was named after the last name of the scientist who discovered this. So at the Kármán line, you actually have the atmosphere that's starting to dissipate and then the vacuum uh, of outer space. You, there's a line. And they've actually gone into outer space and found whiffs of air that have left the top of our atmosphere. What our atmosphere does, and does a lot of things, it allows us to breathe, but it also, when a meteor or any space debris comes into our atmosphere, the, the atmosphere and the gases cause a friction, 
as the meteor is hurtling towards the earth. And you can see pictures of this. They, it goes on fire. It's just incredibly hot. Um, when we have spacecraft that we bring back to the earth, there has to be these ceramic tiles. And if those tiles fall off, the thing could burst into flames and kill all the astronauts in it. So at the Kármán line, you see the differentiation between the two. But our atmosphere has shielded us that maybe something that's two or three miles long as far as a meteor, it enters the atmosphere. By the time it starts to burn up, it could be maybe... Um, uh, a few hundred feet and it hits the, the ocean or a desert, makes an impression, nobody really gets hurt. But this is a way that God has protected us. Also, the electromagnetic uh, radiation or the electromagnetic, it kind of looks like a magnet when you look at a drawing of it. it. It protects our atmosphere. It actually protects our ozone from solar wind. And you start believing in evolution, like all this stuff happened by accident. Everything that God did is fine-tuned. And then at one point, he's just going to go, he's just going to let go. He's going to let everything implode upon itself, and then he's going to remake everything. But part of this has to do with justice. There's going to be people on the earth still thumbing their nose at God and saying, we can still fix this earth. You know, we can still regulate climate. We can still... Um, still do this and still do that, and God, we don't need you. But they want his creation, but they don't want him. To me, that's called a user. <laughs> so, but that's what we have. Um, all right, enough of the geology and the atmosphere and all that stuff. Uh, e, the sky receded, or if you look at the Greek word, it means that the sky, the atmosphere starts to split apart. The word for atmosphere is uranos, and there's different levels of Uranus, but for our understanding, it's what we're breathing right now and all the way up to the Kármán line. So it starts to split apart. It starts to, you know, break apart. Think about this for a moment. The earth rotates at 1,000 miles an hour. That's fast. So right now, we don't feel it, but the earth is rotating. When I learned this as a kid, it kind of freaked me out for a few months. Maybe I was a weird kid. I'm like... Do I feel it? You know, a thousand miles an hour, it's rotating. But it also revolves around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. Man, we're motoring, folks. We are moving. We're burning up that, that radar gun. So we're doing this, and we're doing this at the same time, and you don't feel it. God has designed us with gravity and the one, one atmosphere of pressure to be able to, to exist without feeling what he did. You ever wonder how, at those incredible speeds, the atmosphere, because air can be shifted, right? Look at high-pressure, low-pressure system. Look at meteorology. Hey, that's a great job for you young people. Weatherman, weatherwoman, meteorology, you could be wrong all the time and still have a good-paying job. So if I had to do it all again, I would be a meteorologist. Sorry if you're a meteorologist. But, so, but basically, you have this whipping and this moving at the same time, and the atmosphere really should be shifting and coming out of, of those five layers. However, when we read this, it's going to start to happen. How exactly? I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's up to the Lord. But scientifically, this isn't hard to figure out. This isn't hard to say what John saw in his limited understanding. Yeah, we could definitely see that happening in our future. The mountains and islands were moved. And again, we go back to plate tectonics. Um, there's another theory there used to be a theory called polar axis shift. Scientists have moved away from that. There's another theory, or even among secular humanists, evolutionists, you know, the, 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 the age of the earth, the, 
the, the meteorites and the, the crashing in the deserts in the different parts, but it's called polar wander. And polar wander is, so the Earth is kind of, with respect to the sun, it's tilted at 23 and a half degrees. And that really gives us our seasons and a lot of really neat, interesting things. But polar wander, and scientists say, could be up to 30 degrees. 30 degrees is a lot. This is, that's 90. Uh, that's about 30. Right? So that, that eh, we think, oh, like, eh, but if you're on the Earth eh, at a huge piece of rock, is a big deal. So the, the theory is that uh, meteorites or space debris or maybe some type of collision, um, remember the, the planets move in more of an elliptical pattern than a, a, a perfect circle. And, you know, we're moving through, all the other planets are moving through too. That uh, a glance towards the, the polar, uh, either the north or south, uh, can, can cause the, uh, a polar wander of up to 30 degrees. And now you have all kinds of problems. But again, even secular scientists say, yeah, that's one of our theories. You can look it up. Isn't this neat? Anybody falling asleep yet? (laughs) Anybody mad at me because they they, they did the science thing and they don't want to do it anymore? We can tell me afterwards. (laughs) So, all right, last few verses. We made a lot out of, out of three verses. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men. So you, you've got all kinds of people. Um, you can talk about monarchs. You could talk about presidents. You could talk about all kinds of positions. The commanders, the mighty men. When you look into the, into the Greek, you can see that this has a lot of meanings to it. Uh, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? So three out of four is mankind's reaction. And sadly enough, many on the earth know and you know, you're an atheist until you're in a foxhole and then you start to realize your own mortality. So they know the people left on the planet who have resisted, have rebelled, all this kind of stuff. Um, now it's a, it's a time where even they see all these events happening and they still don't want to give glory to God and they want everything to fall on them and just kill them, uh, hoping that, that, that once their heart stops beating, they cease to exist. And people have that attitude today. But it's interesting because Joel, would, who, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, uh, predicted a lot of this, uh, Joel 2, 30 through 32. But he did say uh, that, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's encouraging. That's encouraging. You know, I don't like hearing these theologies where it's almost the person takes pleasure in speaking about judgment. and I don't take pleasure in it. Um, but I know that God is a good God. He's a fair God. He gives everybody a chance while they're alive to receive him and to have their sins forgiven. However, this group, those that le- are left on the earth, they just would rather die and roll the dice. However, we are going to read more portions of scripture where there's more cataclysms and thousands of people get saved. That's exciting. So the mountains and rocks fall on us, causing death, hide us from his face. Um, now remember, 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, those that are saved by the blood of Christ are not appointed to wrath. So again, people have this crazy idea that Christians are going to go through this. So Jesus saves us, we become his bride so that he could pummel us. That makes no sense. We're not appointed to wrath. And if somebody gets saved today, you're not appointed to wrath. Isn't that exciting? 
the benefits that you get, forget about a 401k or a retirement plan. I mean, this is, this is just, nobody can compare to it. So verse 17, the question is who is able to stand? And the answer is that those who are in Christ are able to stand. And again, people ask me, well, what about the remote person in the far reaches of Australia? And listen, if if Iran is jamming signals so Christian radio can't get into their people and people in Iran are waking up and they're having visions and dreams and coming to Christ, you can jam all the signals you want. You can isolate all the things you want. People are going to dream dreams. I read about one in the opening. People are going to see visions. Christ is going to get to them because he loves them. So there is not one person who's God's going to be like, oh, no, they're being judged. Hey, who missed this guy? It was this poor guy. It's, it's not going to happen. We do that, but he doesn't do that. So he's a good God. People do repent and people get saved. But again, my question is, why would you want to go through this? Four, conclusion. Two responses to God in the trib and their consequences. One is repenting and turning to Christ and ending up in heaven. And ending up in heaven. You know? Good thing. B, everyone else during the tribulation or many during the tribulation refusing to turn to Christ and to trust in him even begging to be destroyed by a mountain or a falling rock so they wouldn't have to face him when they could just trust him and and turn like many have done. And the blessing today is you have power, right? Everyone's at seminars, right? These motivational speakers, they can make a lot of money with certain words. I want to empower you. Ooh, I want to listen to that. I want to be empowered. You're empowered this morning, those of you watching on the live stream, Facebook live, is that you get to determine how you face God. Isn't that beautiful? God has given us the power of free will. We have the power to turn from him, which is a foolish thing, or we have the power to come to him as an estranged kid would come to a parent that they've, you know, neglected for so long. And your power is you face God on your terms right? Come to Christ today. It's all good. Well, just like that, just like that. Because once he did that on the cross, there's no work that we have to do at this point. You know, um, you also, if you want to harden your heart and face him in the judgment, I don't recommend it. (laughs) And that's putting it mildly. But the good news is that you don't have to wait till the tribulation. You could be eight, 10, you could be 80, 90, and say, you know what? Today is the day. Like Joel, Joel's prophecy, all these horrible things will happen, but there is always a silver lining in the Bible. You find me any book, you find me any judgment, and I'll find you a silver lining. It's not because I'm an optimist, it's because it's in there, because I've read the entire thing. So this morning, don't wait. Don't wait till the tribulation. Don't wait till tomorrow. Give your heart to him this morning. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, 
and may God bless you.